Sports Talk New York with your hosts, Mark Rosenman and A.J. Carter. Sports Talk New York is sponsored in part by Prince Associates, Send in the Clowns, The Phoenix Tube Company, CelebrityTrips.com, The Law Firm of Decalator Cohen and DePrisco, Solomon Jewelers, and Relish Restaurant of Kings Park. Here are your hosts. Mark and AJ. Joining us now is the man who is the all-time Major League Baseball leader in hits with 4,256. Games played, 3,562. At bats, 14,053. Singles, 3,215. He won three World Series rings, three batting titles, one Most Valuable Player Award, two Gold Gloves, a Rookie of the Year Award. Also made 17 All-Star appearances at an unequaled five different positions. Second base, left field, right field, third base, and first base. Without a doubt, he is the single greatest player not to be in baseball's Hall of Fame. If you have listened to this show over the last 10 years, you have always heard me refer to him as a Hall of Famer. Uh, it is a pleasure to A, be wearing his jersey tonight, and B, to welcome the man who was the 86th player inducted into the Cincinnati Reds Hall of Fame, Charlie Hustle himself, number 14 in your program, the one and only Pete Rose. Welcome, Pete. Hey, guys. How you all doing? Uh, well, we're speaking to the hit king. There's no other way to be doing but great. Uh, you know, it's crazy to think that you have now spent more of your adult life out of baseball than as a professional baseball player or manager, which spanned 28 years. Yet to this day, if you ask Pete Rose a baseball question, there's an immediate spark in his eye and a smile on your face. What is it about the game of baseball that's given so much and taken so much from you that you still love so much? Well, I think the older you get, uh, the more you appreciate the game of baseball. And, of course, uh, you know, I have to be on top of it because of my affiliation with uh, Fox Sports. You know, you can't uh, get on the whip around or get on the World Series or the playoffs and and just all of a sudden start watching baseball uh, with a week to go in the season. So, you know, I live in Vegas, and I start watching games every day about 4, 4.30 on the East Coast. And, Five five thirty in Midwest and seven seven thirty on the West Coast. So I, I pretty much get my fill of baseball uh, every day during baseball season. Now, I mentioned the I'm a fan. I'm a fan. I just <laughs> you know I just uh, enjoy the great young players that uh, baseball has today, and some of the good, good teams. Uh, you know, Houston's a good team. Dodgers are a good team. The Yankees got a good ball club. The Red Sox got a good ball club. I mean, uh, you know. But there's a lot of bad teams, as you know, too. <laughs> yeah, I mentioned in the open about being inducted into Cincinnati Reds Hall of Fame. At that induction yeah. ceremony, you joked that you've attended lots of Hall of Fame inductions, but this was the first one that you've been invited to. And, of course, it was the great Super Bowl commercial, the Skechers ad. You've been a good sport about this for a long time now. Are you still hopeful that one day you will be inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame? And if so, what will that mean to you? Uh well, to be honest with you, uh, I kind of give up on that. And don't get me wrong. Anybody that could ever go into his or her Hall of Fame has got to be the ultimate goal for you. Okay? But I'm not going to complain on your show because I'm the one that made the mistakes that kept me out of the Hall of Fame. So uh, being in the Reds Hall of Fame and getting my number retired in Cincinnati and, of course, getting the statue last year, uh, was icing on the cake, and don't forget I was born in Cincinnati. So, you know, I can't imagine being introduced in Cooperstown uh, would be any bigger deal than being introduced in my hometown 
uh, for the Reds Hall of Fame. And by the way, I don't know if you've ever been there, but the Cincinnati Reds Hall of Fame is, is the best Hall of Fame of all 30 baseball teams as far as the, the stuff they have in there and the way they got it set up and the way they promote it and the amount of people to come and visit it. And don't forget, baseball started in Cincinnati in 1869, and the first night game was played in 1935. So we have a lot of history in Cincinnati. One last question about the Hall before we move on to what's going on in baseball today. Your former teammate Hall of Fame second baseman Joe Morgan sent out a letter to every baseball writer of America Hall of Fame voter last month urging them not to vote for any alleged steroid users. He opened the letter by stating more, uh, the more we Hall of Famers talk about this, and we talk about it a lot, we realize we can no longer sit silent. Many of us come to think that silence will be considered complicity or the fans might think we are okay if the standards of election to the Hall of Fame are relaxed or at least relaxed enough for steroid users to enter and become members of the most sacred place in baseball. We don't want fans yeah. ever to think that. We hope the day never comes when a known yeah. steroid users are voted into Hall of Fame. They cheated. Steroid users do not belong there. Uh, what do you make of Joe's stand, and why do you think there haven't been a lot more players that have publicly voiced Joe's sentiment? Well, Joe, uh, I talked to Joe about that, and, and Joe told me it took him about eight months uh, to come up with that letter. So this is not something he did overnight. And, you know, whether you agree with him or disagree with him, uh, I don't have a say in Cooperstown. Joe does. And I'm not going to disagree with him or agree with him. Uh, you know, Joe probably wishes uh, he might have stayed away from that, but that's not Joe Morgan. He thinks that way. This is America. You can say whatever you want. And there's probably a lot of players that agree with him, but they just don't have enough balls to come forward. <laughs> like Joe did. I mean, Joe... Joe's real adamant about this. I mean, he really believes that, and he believes that guys who took steroids cheated the game. And uh, I think if you analyze the situation, if you did do steroids, unlike gambling on the game like I did, I, I didn't alter any statistics in the game of baseball. And wouldn't it be nice if you could talk to Roger Maris or Babe Ruth or Hank Aaron? Those are the guys who supposedly lost their records because of uh, steroid use. So, you know, if, if someone ever got 4257 and was linked to steroids, I'd have some uh, choice things to say on your show. <laughs> Absolutely. And I, I don't think, even with steroids, I don't think anyone's getting that number, to be truthful. Uh, you never know. Don't ever say never, because Ty Cobb, he might have said never, because, you know, he had that record a long time before I beat it. And it's probably... Uh, uh, the record for a number of years of a record standing, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, absolutely. You know, you and I spoke a lot about baseball when I saw you in Vegas a few weeks ago, and I always love hearing yeah. your take on today's game. Let's start with the mm -hmm. current wave of hirings in baseball. Lots of former players are now getting jobs with no coaching or managerial experience. A case in point is the son of a guy you played with for three seasons with the Phillies, and that's Aaron Boone. You went mm -hmm. from the field to the dugout as a player manager. What are the challenges, if any, from going, you know, right from the playing field, or you know, not coaching or ma or managing at the minor league level, and taking well, over major league? Let me tell you. Let me tell you. Let me tell you what's hard for a manager. If it, you know, what's hard for a manager. It don't matter if you're one year, five years, or ten years. But usually, guys who manage five years, eight years, ten years, they know their personnel more than a guy that's managed one year. Because all a manager does, all a manager does is put players in situations that they won't fail in, okay? Some guys don't want to bat with a man on second, two outs in the ninth. Some guys don't want, want to be brought in the game, bases loaded, one out, you need a strikeout. 
So managers with experience, that's why young managers usually don't do well. It's not because they don't know baseball. I can honestly tell you, I don't think there's any manager in baseball that knows more about baseball than the other managers. You can only, you can only know so much about the game of baseball. However, the players, the managers with experience know more about their personnel. And they, they know what they can ask their personnel to do. You know, if you've got a bunch of rookies, you don't know what makes them tick. Right. You know, Sparky taught me this a long time ago. Think about it. There's three ways you can treat a person. Pat him on the butt, kick him in the butt, or leave him alone. You don't pat the guy needs kick. You don't kick the guy needs left alone. And it's up to you as manager who is calling the shots to understand your personnel. You know, Aaron Boone won't have any problem. I mean, because he's not going to be hard to get along with. You know, you have one set of rules, you've got 25 different personalities, and you handle every one of them the way they want to be handled. You know, if you've got, if you got to pat him on the butt, pat him on the butt. If you've got to kick him on the butt, kick him on the butt. If you've got to leave him alone, leave him alone. Sparky was the best at that because Sparky understood people more than any guy I've ever been around in my life, and that's why he was successful. You know, it's also interesting, though, because what you hear at all these press conferences when these new managers are introduced are two things that are always stressed. The command of analytics and being able to work in a collaborative environment, which is basically owners speak for being able to work with a GM. You know, well, you were the, the manager of the, G, uh, of the Reds. You had three different GMs. You had um, yeah. Bob Hausman, Bill, Bill Burgish, and, and I think Murray Cook. Um, Correct. Did they have any input back in the day? Did they ever stop by your manager's office and say, look, you know, we've crunched some numbers and we no. think no. So, no. so what no, do you no, make of no the general GMs? Man, no general manager or owner ever told me who to play or who not to play. You know, I went to a general manager one time when I needed Buddy Bell, and they gave me a March, gave me a million bucks to get him. I needed a million dollars to get Dave Parker. She gave it to me. I needed a million dollars to get Bill Gulverson. She gave it to me. But I wouldn't work for somebody that told me how to manage. You know, I like, I like, to, uh, I like to find out how big a guy's heart is, how much enthusiasm he's got. You know, what kind of work ethic did he, does he have? I don't give a damn if he throws 99. I don't care if he can hit the ball 900 feet. I don't care if he can run the first and 3-2. I've seen a lot of guys run real fast to first base, but they never get on base. <laughs> I've seen a lot of guys that take major home runs, but they hit, they hit 220. You know, Adam, I, I, I'm not, I'm not uh, signing off for that stuff because I just think you, you take too much of the human out of playing the game of baseball or the game of sports. It's interesting you say that because you take a look at, and people make this thing that you know analytics is new to this era. And Davy Johnson, back when he managed the Tides, had a computer, or you know certain guys used to keep books on pitchers. You know what they did. Um, so yeah. it's not new; it's just crunching numbers. But for you, when you say you you want you go by feel, like when you were managing, did you ever look at certain matchups? You know of pitchers versus batters, and how did well, you? Sure, sure. I mean. You know who's sitting in your in your dugout, and you know what they do about you know against every pitcher. I mean, I knew what I did against every pitcher, but I didn't have a book. I had it written down in my head. Now you're going to find this hard to believe, but I really believe this. You know where the easiest place in the world to hit is? The easiest the big what? leagues. The big leagues. The easiest place in the world to hit is at the major it's league the level. It's the big leagues, and I'll tell you why. Okay. Everybody that plays in the big leagues, I think you'll agree, has hand-eye coordination, correct? Absolutely. Okay. Best in the world. Now, when you get to the big leagues, the lights are better. 
the umpires are better. Pitcher's control is better. And maybe most importantly, you're facing the same guys year after year after year. Koufax didn't change. Gibson didn't change. Seaver didn't change. Nolan Ryan didn't change. Pitchers don't change from one year to the next year. And, it's just, and I don't give a damn who you are, how much money you make, what car you are, where you're from. You're going to make seven out of ten outs and go to the Hall of Fame. Right. So it's the toughest game in the world because of that. It's a game of failing. Baseball is a game of failing. You talk, you, you, you talk about all the things I did when you introduced me. I almost made 10,000 outs. <laughs> and, was, and, was, and is one of the greatest players to ever play the game. Right. Absolutely. It was fun. It was fun making the outs because I got the opportunity to try to get hits. <laughs> it's pretty simple. It's not rocket science. We want to make everything so difficult. You know, see the ball, hit the ball. <laughs> there ain't no way you can look into a book and start hitting 300. You've got to work your butt off. You've got to put the time in. And you've got to know who you're facing. You've got to do your homework. If you're playing baseball, it's a job, and you have to approach it like that. Yeah, this okay, is... that's what you got to put. When you're playing baseball season during the season, you've got to play it every day. You've you got to play it every day. You've got to do your work. And, and and if you can have fun doing your work, you're way ahead of the game. And I had fun practicing. I had fun playing with Bench and Morgan and Perez and Carlton and Schmidt and Carter and Dawson and Reigns and Larkin and Frank Robinson. <laughs> Those were all Hall of Fame players I played with. It made the game fun to go there every day and practice. It was fun. You know, it's so interesting because, you know, you – Again, the passion of the game comes through whenever you speak about it. But here's something that's very interesting. You know, back in the day when you played, uh, the only real shift I could ever remember was the so-called McCovey shift. Now, teams are, are shifting 50% more. You know, they're, they're pers- some teams yeah. are shifting more than a standard infield set. Now, for someone yeah. like you that could hit anywhere in the field, how, how would your approach at bat change if you played in today's game and they had a Pete Rose spray chart, and depending on who you were facing, they shifted? What would you do against well, the shift? Well, first of all, yeah, that, that's a good point. First of all, I don't think there's that many pitchers pitching a day that can throw the ball uh, where they want it more than they don't throw it where they want it. Okay? If you're going to put the shift in, shift on a left-hand hitter, you got to make sure you don't throw the ball away where you can hit it to left field. I don't give a darn where I'm playing or who's pitching. I'm going to try to use the whole field based on where the pitch is. If it's inside, I'm going to pull it. If it's down the middle, I'm going to try to hit it right back in the middle. If it's away, I'm going to try to hit it hard to left field. I'm not going to try to spray the ball. I'm trying to attack the ball and hit it hard every time the pitcher throws it. All I can tell you one thing about when they shift on these players, they cannot hit 300. You cannot hit 300. Hitting the ball to one field. Right. I don't give a damn who you are. You can't do it. It's impossible. It's really impossible. It's just like it's hard to hit 300 if you strike out once every three at-bats. You strike out 200 times. Sure, you'll probably hit a lot of home runs, but you're not, you're not going to come close to 300. You know, it's also interesting the mental aspect of the shift because, you know, you got into a player here in New York's head better than anyone you know, when you just came basically maybe three inches away from Mickey Rivers, you know, in the World Series. How much is yeah. it when you see a, a shift mentally, does it take away from your concentration? Well, no, no. It, it, all that did there, we didn't do a shift. 
I just cheated up on Mickey because Mickey, through all the film we watched, we watched of Mickey Rivers, he never hit a ground ball to left field. He got base hits to left field, but not ground balls. And we took the bun away from him. And, and psychologically, it worked against Mickey. He did end up hitting a line drive right to my glove, but it wasn't a ground ball. Okay? So and Mickey was a pretty good hitter. He hit the ball to the opposite field. I mean, you know, most guys when I played, Clemente and, and Bill Matlock and guys who were batting champions, uh, very few, if, not, if, if none of them, just hit the ball to one field. They were all good opposite field hitters. Right. You know, I wish they'd have put a shift on me. Uh, <laughs> that'd have been a suicide for them. You know, you could you could you could put a shift maybe on Johnny Bench, but you couldn't Tony Perez. You couldn't put a shift on Joe Morgan. You might be able to put one on Mike Schmidt. Uh, but these guys that put these shifts, and you ever knows the teams that put the most shifts on are the teams with the worst, worst record. <laughs> right. I mean, so guys, it's not working. It's just like when you hit the pitcher eight. <laughs> right, that, Tell me yeah, why oh, you hit the pitcher eight. <laughs> and there's been three three managers since I've been watching baseball that hit the pitcher eight: Brian Price of Cincinnati, Joe Madden of Chicago, and Rudy uh, Ru, uh, Russa in St. Louis. And I heard Joe Madden talk for 20 minutes one day on an interview why the pitcher hits eighth. And when the interview was over, I said, what the hell did he say? <laughs> yeah, Terry Collins it did it here, too. It don't make any yeah, sense it, to me. Right. It don't make any sense why you know, the Reds two years ago changed the whole lineup because of Billy Hamilton putting the pitcher eight and putting Billy Knight. I mean, all the other managers that have uh, been managing baseball, were they wrong? <laughs> were they wrong about the pitcher eight? And if the pitcher's that good, he can hit that good, put him fifth or sixth, <laughs> not eighth. Right. The, How would you like to be the... How would you like to be the ninth place hitter on that ball club where the pitcher's hitting in front of you? <laughs> it, yeah, it bothers my mind too. It that's is embarrassing. I, I totally agree with you. You know, your manager in 1970 changed the way the game's played. Sparky Anderson, he was so far ahead of the curve. First year as manager of the Big Red Machine, the saves compiled by that bullpen outnumbered the complete games of the Red starting pitchers. Newspapers yeah. credit your teammate Dave Concepcion of giving him the nickname of Captain Hook in 1975, where he basically went from um, Don Gullett to, to Pedro Barbone to Clay Carroll, Will McEnany, and Raleigh Eastwick to preserve a 3-2 win over the Cards, a game that you went two for five, by the way. Um, what are your yeah. thoughts of the way the bullpen has now even evolved further that now you have the Mets' new manager, Mickey Calloway, saying, you know what, he doesn't have a designated closer. It depends, like, he, he believes that certain, you know, the seventh inning could be the key opportunity to use the most important pitcher to get you out in the seventh inning. Well, I, agree. I, I agree with that. I mean, I agree with that. I mean, you know, if you, if you got a, a really great uh, saver that saves everything that he goes out there to save, that's a good thing. But, you know, let me tell you something about baseball. You, you heard the terminology, he's a middle reliever. You know why guys are middle relievers? Because some of them can't handle the pressure at, at the ninth well, no, inning? It's because they're not good enough to start and they're not good enough to close. <laughs> and let me tell you something, and I know you noticed because we talked about it a couple weeks ago. Most of the runs in baseball are being scored in the 6th, 7th, and 8th inning. Now you get in the playoffs, and the guys that are pitching the 6th, 7th inning during the season don't get to pitch in the playoffs because your setup man has moved back an inning and your closer has moved back maybe two innings. So the guys who are set up, the guys who are middle relievers during the season, you know what they become during the playoffs? Spectators. <laughs> 
You're right. That's the truth. You're right. No, that's why you know you take a look at the and, there, and, there, and there's only a handful of uh, teams that have really, really good middle relief pitchers. And you know who the teams are, and I know who the teams are. But there's about 12 or 14 teams that have terrible middle relief pitchers. Sure, they got a closer. Sure, they got some starters. But you start the starter goes five or six, and you start bringing them so-so pitchers in there. Hey, that's when them guys start lighting them up, start scoring them runs. We have about three minutes before we go to, to break. I, I want to talk about your amazing record, and, and I, I believe steroids, no steroids, I don't believe it's ever going to be broken. 4,256 hits. Uh, the night you broke Ty Cobb's record, um, it was the high watermark since 1928, 57 years until Cincinnati, September 11th, 1985, 8.01 p.m. You get the 4,192 hit. Uh, actually, I was at Shea Stadium. They actually showed it on the big screen there. You got a nice ovation there, but nothing that compared to the nine-minute standing ovation at Riverfront. What do you remember about that hit, that moment, and nine minutes of just pure adoration from the Cincinnati well, fans? to be honest with you, I don't remember much because um, when I got that ovation, it was the only time in my life I ever didn't know what to do on a baseball field. <laughs> they come out, they took the base, everybody come out, they left the field, they brought the, the car in to give me... Uh, that was a very uncomfortable position for me, but it was a real good feeling for me. And, you know, don't forget, I was born in Cincinnati, so I felt like I had iced tea with half the people in the audience. <laughs> so, you know, and, and for, for, for you dads out there listening to our, our interview right now, nine minutes staying ovation. When you get home from work tomorrow night and you go in the kitchen and your wife's cooking dinner, stand there and clap for nine minutes. <laughs> and you'll understand what I went through. Believe me, you will not be able to do it. Wow. That's good. That is a great you know, analogy. All right. In closing, for me, Jack, Be- Jack Buck said it best. He insists um, that he doesn't know anyone who's experienced you in, in person that comes away saying, I don't like that guy. I, for one, a thousand percent in agreement with that statement. I am and have always been a huge fan of Pete Rose my whole life. Except one day, October eighth, nineteen seventy three. This is a Met fan. You know, we know what happened with Buddy Harrelson. But that being said, in Pete Rose's perfect world, you wake up tomorrow. What if anything would you have changed in your life, and what job would you be doing right now? Oh, I'd be playing baseball. But uh, if I could change anything in my life, man, I wouldn't have been on baseball. That's a, that's an easy one. No, that's a, that's an easy one. That's another show. <laughs> but uh, when you when you mess up. Uh, it's part of history. You got to live with it, man. You got to go on, you know. And and I got so many fans have been very supportive of me. They've let me go on. Some people will never let you go on, but you know, life's too short to worry about anything, man. I'm not, I just hope that baseball keeps getting better and better and better and more entertaining because I'm a baseball fan, man. And like Tony Perez would say, baseball been baseball been very good to me. <laughs> Pete, we're up against a break. Thanks so much for your time tonight. Hopefully, in the right, not-too-distant future, we'll be able to have you on and say Hall of Fame class of, hopefully, 2019, all right? Okay, take care, man. Thanks. All right, thanks. Pete Rose, the one, the all only, right. the hit king.